On this episode of Larry the Golf Guy, we sit down and talk with the tremendous coach of the Stanford women's golf team, Ann Walker. Ann has had just uh, an amazing record in her 11 years at Stanford with two NCAA national team championships and reaching um, the semifinals six times, um, reaching the quarterfinals all eight seasons, that, that's been the format, um, and three straight NCAA uh, individual champions the past three years. That would be, of course, Rachel Heck in 2021 and Rose Zhang the last two years. Um, 39 full-field victories, 28 All-Americans, um, including at least one first-team All-American in each of her 11 seasons at Stanford. Just an amazing record. Um, and so we talk about um, first her journey um, growing up in uh, Scotland on a farm um, and how she got introduced to the game and um, her um, playing on the Scottish national team and um, then uh, ending up going to Cal Berkeley where she had tremendous success and is in the school's athletic hall of fame. Um, and then right after graduation coaching there for six years um, and um, you know having great success there as well as a, an assistant um, under uh, Nancy McDaniel who's still the coach at Berkeley. Uh, and then going out to UC Davis for head coach before coming to Stanford um, in uh, the summer of 2012. Um, so uh, we also talk about, uh, you know, some of the highlights during her time at Stanford, that first win in 2015 National Team Championship, um, and then um, the repeat in 2022, um, for her second one, uh, with, and, and very different. 2015 was a bit of an underdog team. 2022 was just a stacked roster, and um, the differences of sort of um, winning as an underdog and the pressure of, of getting it done when you're the favorite, which was the story in 2022. And then generally we talk about what it's like to um, recruit at a program like Stanford, what it's like to um, be the coach, what your role is when you're getting such elite athletes who are, um, you know, already have their own swing coaches, their own teams, and what role she plays, um, uh, given how um, largely fully formed these folks are as golfers by the time they get to Stanford and helping them balance um, the demands of a school like Stanford with um, uh, the uh, demands of being a varsity athlete and, and, and her ability to maintain this sustained excellence. So we go into all that with her, great conversation. She's really an amazing coach, a lot of fun to talk to. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. So up next on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, Coach Ann Walker of the Stanford women's golf team. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy, and I am so pleased today to have with us the um, great coach of the Stanford women's team, Ann Walker. As folks know, probably from my Amelia Miliacho um, podcast a few months ago when, you know, 
Uh, I, I sort of bleed Cardinal, um, as Amelia does the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. But we're, we have Cardinal, all Cardinal today with Coach Walker. And uh, Ann, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, excited to kick off 2024 with this podcast with you, Larry. Appreciate it. So just to give folks a little bit of context, kind of go back to the beginning a little bit. You grew up, I know, in Scotland, a little bit, um, oh, 50 minutes or so south of Glasgow. And um, maybe how talk to us about how and when you were first introduced to this great game. Yeah, well, I grew up in a farm. And so I got to about the age of 12 or 13. My dad played a couple of days a week. And uh, my mom had a flower business, so we spent all our summers just on the farm, just me and my sister. And about, I was probably 12 and a half, 13, I, I started to crave maybe something a little more exciting than <laughs> running around <laughs> all day. And so I suggested that perhaps I could get some golf clubs and go to the golf club and, and play. And so that's what happened. And I spent the, the summer of 1993 living at the golf course my dad would drop me on the way to work about seven and he would pick me up at dark which in the summer is not till about 10 10 30 right wow I'm, right <laughs> i met a ton of great friends um and just had an absolute blast playing tons of golf got really good pretty quick and that was it i was hooked from that time going forward yeah, I saw. I mean, you really did. I mean, I I started when I was nine. I think I shot one forty four in my first eighteen. I saw you. I saw one thirty two to one thirty two. Yeah, I still yeah. remember it. Yeah, I'm sure. I just like I remember one forty four. And uh, but um, you did improve rapidly. So you played a little competitively as a junior, and um, you were on the Scottish national team, right, for a few years. What was that like? Yeah, it was great. Well, the funny part about that story is I had to beg my parents to take me to the, you know, I'd seen the flyer in the locker room for the Scottish Girls Championship. And I had to beg my parents to take me. And my, my mom was just annoyed by that because it was in Aberdeen and that was going to be three and a half hours. We oh, end wow, up going, yeah. I end up playing great. One thing leads to another. And the next thing you know, I'm being announced on the Scottish national team. And I think my wow. parents were were kind of, we were all in shock, but um, it just, it kept evolving and it was a really special, fun time. Awesome. And so you're all set to play uh, for uh, the University of Edinburgh and, um, but a little detour happens. You end up coming to Cal um, and that's kind of an interesting story. And the great Bell Robertson played a role in that and maybe share with us how you got from uh going to Edinburgh to all of a sudden coming to the Bay Area? I mean, this is a great story, a right place, right time, and how many little things it takes out there in the universe to make something happen. But uh, Cal was starting a women's golf program. A wonderful woman by the name of Barbara Bentley, who was a San Francisco club member, had hosted the Curtis Cup at San Francisco Club in the 70s. She'd become wonderful friends with a woman by the name of Belle Robertson, who is arguably the best amateur to come out of Scotland, if not Great Britain. And she connected with Bell. They'd stayed lifelong friends. Flash forward to uh, the 90s. And Nancy, the head coach, the current head coach at Cal, still started the program. She had mentioned, gosh, she really needed to get a kickstart, was looking for an international player. Barbara raised her hand and said, well, I could reach out to my friend Bell Robertson, which she did. That same weekend, we had a West of Scotland Girls Championship. It's now mid-July-ish. Uh, and again, I'm going to Edinburgh, supposedly, in, in October. And Belle says, hey, girls, you know, I got this note from the Cal golf coach, Berkeley, and she's looking and, you know, here's kind of you have to be up at this age and these sorts of academics. And here's her number if anyone wants to grab it. So I grabbed the number 
And I called her. We had, with my family, been in Orlando, so I was a, a aware of the states, but I didn't understand that there were multiple time zones. <laughs> so I kept calling her what I thought was, you know, 7 a.m. Orlando time, but turns out it was actually 4 a.m. California oh, wow. time. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and uh, <laughs> leaving voicemails for back-to-back -back days. It's like, hey, I'm looking for this Coach McDaniel woman, if you could call me back. And finally, her husband picked up in the night and he's like, my goodness, you know, like, here's the Coach McDaniel you're looking for. Further to that, Nancy's husband, Jay, was the head pro at Lake Merced Golf Club. He oh, had won sure. a trip for being the, he had sold the most Ashworth gear that year in California. Okay. So as part of the Ashworth company, they had flown Jay and Nancy to the British Open, which happened to be at Troon, Scotland, which was real close to my house. And again, this is all serendipitous. It takes so many things, right time, right place. Sure. Nancy said, well, gosh, we're coming over there in two weeks. Are you going to be playing? I said, I actually am. I'm going to be playing. So I was playing this event. She came by, watched me play that event. It was a one-hole tournament. Bell Robertson was there that day, actually. And I, I shot my lowest ever score. And I'll never forget, we got done. And Nancy said, wow, that was really great playing today. And she said, is this somewhat standard of your golf game? And I said, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and she always laughed. She's like, you lied your way to college. I'm like, hey, it worked out, okay? I was uh, promoting myself for the future. But uh, shortly thereafter, within hours, she said, I think I need to come meet your parents. And I said, no, no, it's fine. I'll tell them, you know, I'm going to California. And she said, no, I'm going to come meet your parents. So. <laughs> I'm calling my mom from the golf course and the, you know, I'm in the phone booth and I'm like, this American lady insists that she comes to the house, you know, and you can imagine any home, right? <laughs> oh, my sure. mom's totally. like, what do you yeah. mean? I got to clean. I got to right. do this. Oh, we, totally. We have, we have no biscuits. And right, so right. anyway, Jay and Nancy came and met my parents and within 24 hours of that, before they returned to the States, she called and she said, you know, I've never done this before, but this feels right. It feels like a fit. And if you want to start in January, let's do it. And that was kind of, wow. yeah, I left the, wow. left the house one morning to play a tournament and go to University of Edinburgh and came home that night, going to University of California and subsequently spending my entire life here. Wow. That, that, that is amazing. And of course, I mean, you go to Cal um, and no one's going to confuse Orlando with Berkeley. That's for sure. No, Very no, they're both, places. they're both a version of Disney world though. I can tell you. Yeah. That. You can say that. I, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. I think that I'll, I'll give you that. Um, tremendous success. You're captain for your last three years, all packed 10 multiple times. You're in the athletic hall of fame there, you know, tremendous success. Um, you also, if I think if I got my notes right, won the Welsh Amateur um, at this point, which significant event, got people like Laura Davies, prior winners, people like Charlie Hull, more recently, subsequent winners. So you obviously, you know, have a tremendous game. Any thoughts at that point of sort of maybe trying to make it as a pro? Yeah, I had been, when I first went to college, absolutely not. I wasn't thinking that way. I, I was really yeah. interested in architecture. And that was kind of where my head was leaning. And then I started having some success here in the States. And of course, your mind starts to think, well, maybe I could do this and maybe I could compete. So I would say I thought about that. And then I had some up and downs my senior year with just, I won actually a couple of times that year, but I also had some down times as well. And so as I was nearing the end of my career and looking at international visas, and um, I, by that point, somewhat decided I really loved California and the weather here. And I, I wanted to stay for at least a period of time to just experience California as a resident. 
And that the position at Berkeley allowed me to do that and guaranteed me that. So I, I joke now, I tell multiple people that the decision was really easy being Scottish. It was either play golf, pro golf, lose money, or work in golf, make money. <laughs> and when you're Scottish, we all know how we like the, the green dollar. So uh, appreciate that. Absolutely. So you go right on the staff at Cal right after graduating. You're there, I think, for six years on Nancy's staff. Um, and um, a lot of success there. Um, three times straight five, three straight, excuse me, top five NCAA finishes. Um, and your first coaching experience, you know, un under her, um, what did you learn, uh, during that time about coaching any, you know, if you look back on it, um, now you've had all this great success, which we'll get into shortly as a head coach. I mean, what do you sort of look back and say, gee, you know, I kind of learned A, B and C or any particular takeaways from that experience of coaching under her? Yeah. I mean, I learned a tremendous lot and I, I, oh, much of my career to Nancy. I met many of the things we still do in our program today came from my time there as a player and as a coach. And uh, she also gave me the opportunity. And I, I think that can never be belittled how important it is to get a great start. And not only a great start, she gave me an opportunity at a program that was on the rise and to your point had yeah. wonderful success. So I got to write her coattails, which was really nice. And it set me up to be a candidate for other jobs that were of interest. So I owe everything to Cal. I owe everything to Coach McDaniel and always thankful for that. What did I learn when I was there? Um, well, I learned a, a great deal. We had some wonderful players come through at the time, all Americans, uh, who a lot of them went on and played professional. And so just operating, how you watch elite players operate and what kind of environment and how no two environments are the same, what one player needs and another player is going to be very different. I learned from Coach McDaniel. She had young children at the time and how to be a working mom and how to do that well and how to do it with grace and how to make sure when you're home, you're home, but when you're at work, you're at work and how to balance that. And thank goodness I learned how to balance that because that's been my career and it's it's not easy, but she modeled right. the way in that. Um, and then I learned what I love about college athletics, which you know the, the world of college athletics has been somewhat murky these last few years, but sure has, I'm a, yeah. I'm a big believer in that they are scholar athletes. I really believe that. And I, I believe in the value of education, especially for women in this game. Yeah. Uh, I believe in just taking that time. It, life is short. Yeah. And so when you are on campus, I think golf's really important and we're all lucky to have it in our lives. But it's equally important that you make friendships and that you embrace the opportunity that college gives you. And I Berkeley Nancy really believed in that and uh, I was a I benefited from that I was a product of that environment and I've maintained that environment and I try to maintain it on a daily basis and uh, as long as I'm coaching here at Stanford I, I hope we can always emulate that environment that Nancy had at Cal. Yeah that's great um, and you do go on to get a head coaching job at UC Davis again lots of success I think three straight Big West titles um, and then the Stanford coaching opportunity comes up, um, I guess we're a couple of years later in 2012, was that something you kind of, was that like a dream job all along or did you have your eye on that? And, um, just curious kind of your thinking on that. Yeah, it was a dream job. Uh, so I had been always thinking when I was at Cal, I knew Nancy would be there a very long time. And so in my head, I was thinking, gosh, the dream job, I think. For many people is to be at Stanford and 
uh, had it in my mind, but I also knew that Coach O'Connor at the time, she was a wonderful coach. And so I was never banking on that. So I just kind of followed with what my values were. And I wanted to stay in Northern California. I wanted to be a good academic institution. And Davis presented itself. And boy, was I lucky. I inherited this just wonderful group of young women. They were so hardworking. They were such a fun group. They loved the game of golf. And we had such a fun ride for four years. And I, yeah. you know, I always tell them, thanks to them, I, I was able to be in a position to earn this spot. And so, and, and that's the thanks to those women. But I do remember when the job came open, it was uh, early June, 2012. I was getting married in August, 2012. Yeah, I was going to say you had a lot going on in your life at that we time. We had so much going on. Uh, the interview process here was unusual and unique. It extended all the way to July 28th. So oh, wow. I was in this, yeah, I was in a state of turmoil. And then we had 38 people coming from Scotland for our wedding who were all arriving early August. Wow. So I, I, you know, I learned late July, I'd got the job. I was over the moon. I couldn't have been more excited, but it also meant we had to move. We had to entertain half of Scotland. We had to get married. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, and, and I felt like I had to hit the ground running because there had been this big void of any coach at Stanford. So right. no one had recruited that summer. Right, right. Uh, I didn't have an assistant coach. It was oh, wow. a wild time, but uh, a very fun time at the same time. I bet. And just one quick story before we get into the coach career that I saw that I laughed about that. You know, you're you're um, used to blue and gold, of course, being at Berkeley. And I guess that was I didn't realize that was Davis's colors as well, apparently. And um, you were hard to when you guys, uh, you and your your husband, they came to the campus one of your trips. Couldn't quite get to pull something cardinal, right? I think you got a gray, a gray uh, sweatshirt or gray sweater or something, right? It was still a little yeah, hard to a, pull the cardinal. Yeah, that's a true story. <laughs> I hadn't owned anything red since 1998. So, you know, for 14, 15 years, I got the word that I got the job. I was in the background search, so no one else knew I had it. It was just me and my husband. And uh, Chris said, let's drive down to Stanford and, you know, really just relive what this is. So we drove down from Davis. We were also kind of looking for a house. We drove down from Davis. We walked through campus, which is just gorgeous. It's, it's so gorgeous. overwhelming. Yeah. It's it gorgeous. Is. Totally is. And, you know, it was all surreal. And actually, my husband, to add to this, his entire family went to Stanford. Oh, so I didn't he, realize that. So wow. he's a cardinal. His grandpa went here, his father, oh, wow. his mom. His, so he's cardinal all the way. So he is so excited because now we're, we're at Stanford. And we go to the bookstore and we split. I go to the women's section. He goes to the men. Yeah. We're kind of separated for a while. And we meet back up. And I literally couldn't pull the trigger on anything. I just walked around thinking, I don't think I can buy a thing here. And he came back with, you know, he's got red sweaters and black yeah, sweaters. Sure. And he looked at me and he said, you don't have anything? And I said, I don't, I don't think I can wear Stanford. And he's like, well, you're going to have to wear Stanford. <laughs> so, so sure enough, I grabbed a gray sweater. And true to this day, it is still in my closet. It still has the tag on it. Still has but the I, tags. Wow. But I keep it there because I like it to remind me of the journey we've been on. Because I think it's really important for me never to forget how fortunate I am to be here and never take this for granted. And um, it's such a special place. And so I keep it there as a reminder that it wasn't, you know, it just every day wake up and be thankful that you got this opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I love it. That's a wonderful story. So Let's talk about um, your unbelievably stellar coaching career um, since then, where you still are, of course, at Stanford. Um, 
we could spend an hour just talking about the accolades, but quickly, you know, two NCAA championships, six appearances in the final four, I think reaching the quarters all eight seasons of the current format, three straight last three years, individual champions with Rachel in 2021, Rachel Heck, and of course, Rose Zhang the last two years, 30 some odd full field victories, 28 All-Americans, Pac-12 coach of the year multiple times. Just incredible stuff. And I want to get into sort of your role as a coach and everything. But just one thing that struck me, and I'm sure struck you, I mean, Stanford Athletics um, uh, is really amazing. And the Director's Cup, which, you know, gets awarded to um, the top program overall for all the combined sports. I mean, it's it's almost um, uh, ridiculous. I mean, Stanford, I think there's been 29 of them. Stanford's won 26 of them. Um, and um, uh, and I understand like that women's golf was apparently the only one of the school's 36 sports that hadn't won a national championship, uh, which I did not know. Um, and, uh, but you show up and, and, you know, you've got Maria Stackhouse and some other players there and you have pretty quick success. So I'm just, let's, I want to sort of take, before we get into all the other aspects of your great career there, I'm just want to take you back to 2015 and that first national championship. What was that like to get the first one? Oh, it was, it was just incredible. I, when I was walking with Mariah was, as everyone remembers, two down with two to play and I was yes. with her and she had lost 16 to just one of the most outrageous golf shots I'd ever seen in my life. It was, it was fantastic from Haley, um, from Baylor who got in the mud, hit off of the mud with a seven iron, you know, she's in the hazard. You think she's out of the hole. She hits the right. 10 feet. She makes the putt. It was it was spectacular. And so Mariah's two done with two to play and I'm walking with her. All the other matches are done. And she birdies 17. We go to 18. It's kind of unfolding. She birdies 18. It was electric. It was, it was beyond my wildest dreams. You just couldn't believe it. And, but what I remember about coming down the first extra hole was thinking to myself, no matter how this shakes out, I I'm the pride I felt with my group sure. was through the roof. It didn't matter. And I kept thinking to myself, how lucky am I? And now when I look back, I haven't watched it for a few years, but they, they would show for a while, Mariah and I walking down that hole and we were having a blast. We were cracking up. We were smiling and none of that was fake because there was so much joy in that moment of the journey with that group. It was a great group of kids. And I think we were fortunate we came out on top. Had we not come out on top, of course we would have been sad, but, um, it, the journey there is a true testament to the process. We, no matter how that shook out, we were so proud in the effort that we'd put in. And that's what I always remember about that group was they gave it their all. They gave all their heart. We, had, I remember driving to the course that morning. They were blasting their music. They were having an absolute time of their life together. Like you just couldn't imagine a better group of five kids to come together and have that experience. And I actually believe that we might have not been the best, you know, on roster that yeah. week. Yeah. But I think our culture carried us all the way to that finish line because the culture of that group was so tight. Interesting. And I can totally see that. And and maybe just uh, before we get into some of these other topics, to just compare it to 2022, because you were stacked uh, roster. That, yeah. I mean, you've got, you know, people, um, I, I when I talk about the Stanford program, I mean, you know, Rose, of course, is unbelievable i mean and 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 she deserves all the plaudits she get 
but um, you know, you have her as a freshman, but people sometimes forget Rachel just had a monster year in 2021, you know, as a mm -hmm. freshman, um, you know, winning six tournaments, won the Annika award, you know, and, and then Rose comes and, you know, so you've got those two and the rest of the team. I don't mean to say, but just those two. So you guys were stacked um, on that roster. Yeah, and Aline Crowder, she went 3-0 right. in right. her matches. Bruce Absolutely. Bruce went 3-0 in her matches. Right. All of them. It was a tremendous So tell me, so, I mean, what's the feeling with that squad? Do you feel like, God, we're expected to win, so it's a little bit different than... You know, as you just said, the 2015 squad, the school had never won before. You made you weren't necessarily the, the number one roster. I mean, it's got to be a little bit different feeling, right? Oh, yeah. 2015 was all gravy. I mean, it was <laughs> people were shocked we were there. We actually when we showed up to nationals that year, the very first day we shot the worst. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Let me back up. The very first day we shot one of the best scores. I think it was the fourth score. So we were in fourth going into the second round. The second round of that 2015 year, we shot the worst round of the wow. day. I didn't know that. So wow. we went from being in fourth to all of a sudden we were all the way back in 15. Wow. And there's a cut after the third, right. third round. And right. so we were just kind of focused on making the cut. And then we got ourselves back to eighth, I think, I believe, going into the final round. And then we played great the final round and went back up to the fourth. And so, again, it was just this free-for-all, like, Hey, you know, we made the cut. And then it was like, oh my gosh, we made the top eight. But then flash forward in every year for our program, you know, we came back that next year, we made it back to the finals again. We had two players in extra holes. We lost. Yeah, you were like, uh, people, I'm glad you mentioned that because you were like really close to being back. Yeah, back. we had two <laughs> players going extra holes and uh, we were inches. And, and you know, again, you talk about, is it just meant to be Washington in those extra holes they had two kids hole out from the fairway yeah. and one kid <laughs> make it up and down out of the bunker the 80 yard bunker and number one for par to save her par to keep going so these are things that sometimes if it's to be your week it's to be your week right right i think that's probably what i've learned through all of this uh but then you know every passing year and then we had andrea lee world number one alban valenzuela right. olympian right. And then now Rachel Hack, Sadie Engelman, Aline Crowder, and then Rose Vang, Magagani. And so it's just been this constant, the balloon was just starting to like, it was going to pop. And I feel like we went to that national championship and as much pride as I had with the 2015 group for just being the underdogs and yep. rising the occasion, the 2022 group, different level of pride because you can't imagine, or maybe you can't imagine, but the pressure that the external world was putting on them oh, and then sure. to be yeah. able to show up and follow through and the way that the world is expecting you to, that's almost more difficult when yeah, everyone's I, I watching. I agree. You and see that so in sports the, all the time. I yeah. Agree. The pride I had with that group was totally different. Um, and, and, you know, we had a good shot last year too. We were right there. I think it's hard for Rose. Rose knew that was going to be the end of the road for her. Yeah, and yeah. she was largely out of steam um so that was kind of a different a different sensation for the entire group knowing that was the end of kind of a era for that bubble of kids yeah for sure for sure um so i want to talk to you about just um a couple of different aspects of of being the coach at stanford um and maybe start with recruiting um recruiting mm -hmm. has got to be obviously a huge part of what uh, someone who's, you know, at a, an elite division one program like you are with Stanford women's golf, that's got to 
be a big part of what you do. I'm just sort of curious if you talk about how much of your time is that and 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 kind of what your selling points are and what you look for in recruits. I've, I've seen you say, which I love this line, that recruit the right person first and the golfer second, because if you get the right person, good things are going to happen. So just maybe curious kind of what makes someone the right person for Stanford? Yeah, well, I think Stanford, first of all, is somewhat of a self-filtering process. To get to the level where you're engaged with our coaching staff, you've already on paper, you have a certain academic level, and then on paper, you're meeting a certain threshold in, in athletics. So by the time we whittle down a lot of years, that can be a very small pool of people. And right. then in that small pool, that's where we try to do the work of who's the right fit for the program and who's the right character for the culture. Um, I, I think what one of the things we've done here as a program over the last 12 years is really spend a lot of time thinking about our culture and thinking about what's the day-to-day experience like as part of this team. Knowing that over time, sustained excellence typically is a result of the values and the culture that the, the people in the organization are part of. So if we can get that part right, the golf oftentimes, most times, will take care of itself. They're clearly very talented young women. And so that's where we spend the majority of our time is get down to that pool of people that have self-filtered through Stanford's filtering process. And now that we know who they are, let's try to get to the bottom of who do we think would be the right fit to maintain the tradition of Stanford golf. So how do you sort of look for that? Do you look at how they interact with their parents? Do you go to watch them at tournaments? And because, and, and, and I'm focusing on this culture aspect you're touching on, because as you say, I mean, these are, stellar people they're probably all you know ajga all americans they have you know tremendous records and everything and you, you know you can look at the data for their golf games but th- this part um is is i'm interested in kind of how you're able to assess that um because that's it's super important but you know it's 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 not something that goes on paper as easily as like you know what you shot in the last three tournaments yeah, no. Uh, well, I think that golf is a small world. So that's one starting place. I We get tidbits from coaches or from uh, high school coaches or from former players, current players, you know, families. It's, it's a very small world. So that's one starting place. Just what are the recommendations coming in or demise mm-hmm. recommendations? And then I think for me, I that's where I lean on my experience coaching 20 plus years, just talking to people, just talking to the kid, talking to the parents, seeing what the, you know, what drives them, what they're, and to use the word again, not to belabor it, but what their values are, what is behind their, their desire to get out and practice, what's behind their desire to be here at Stanford. That's a big one for me is there's a certain profile and, and you mentioned this, you know, there's a certain profile of person that craves this opportunity. And typically it permeates their entire life. It doesn't just show up in golf. It doesn't just show up in academics. It's in the weight room. It's um, when they are socializing with, you know, or networking with other people in the game. It's the way they speak to me. It's the way they speak to their parents. These are high performers across the board. And even if you told them, Larry, you went out and said, hey, you know, just you don't (laughs) need to get an A in that class or whatever that doesn't sit well with them because how they do ends, how they do everything. They want to really give their very best. So there's a certain profile that 
it shows up. You can tell the way they, they speak about all parts of their life. Just in one conversation, I can usually pretty quickly tell, is this kid going to be a, a great fit for Stanford golf? And are you on the road a lot going to see them? I'm just sort of curious how the recruiting process is because it's so you got to recruit nationally. You must, it's a big job. Yeah, no, everyone does it different. Um, the way we've kind of worked it here is my assistant, Brooke. She does the majority of the cast the white net is what we call it. Yeah. So we get, you know, the initial list. She tries to travel to most of the um, tournaments that we need to go to. And she gets her eyes on them multiple times. And then, uh, Brooke and I will meet, and by the time it comes to me, Brooke's kind of figured out, okay, this is who we really want to look at. So then I get the short list, and then from the short list, I move forward with the the final part, mostly because, you know, I always tell Brooke that when we go to sleep at night, she falls asleep straight away, and I fall asleep and then wake up multiple times with the accountability of Stanford <laughs> Golf. Uh, so it's, you know, that ultimately is going to fall on my shoulders, so it should be me that makes those final decisions. And so, but we have a great system that works. Brooke does a, a, a super job of getting out and traveling and, and, you know, getting their eyes on all the players that are candidates for this program. How early do you sort of start hearing about people? I think I'd read somewhere, and of course, Rose is a, you know, is an outlier. I mean, in so many ways, but I mean that you sort of first ran into her when she was 12 or 13 or heard of her. I mean, do you start hearing about people at that age, um, even though they're yeah. what is that, five <laughs> years away from college? <laughs> Yeah. We do. And you know, what's horrifying is I have a nine-year-old at home who plays very <laughs> little golf and I, you know, you do, you hear about these people and I just got to know about this 11-year-old from my coach who this 11-year-old looks unreal. But of course, now instead of focusing on the 11-year-old for Stanford, I'm in full panic mode texting my husband like, I must got to get lessons. We got to get her out there. <laughs> so it's becoming the, those emails are starting to bring me panic attacks versus excitement but um, I, I can I can only imagine um yeah it's that's that's funny um one other thing before I leave recruiting just sort of strikes me is um and you may not have had this too much at Stanford but just generally in college athletics you know someone could come and um you know, your roster's changing all the time anyways. People are graduating, but someone mm -hmm. could come and decide, yeah, I don't really want to, this is too much for me to still do golf, you know, with everything else and not stick it out. Or they can sort of, on the other side of the equation, I guess, you know, decide they want to turn pro early. Um, so that's got to be an additional challenge, right? Because you don't necessarily, they're not, it's not like they're locked in. I mean, you you know, they may say they're committed, but, you know, people change. These are young people. Things happen in their lives. I mean, that's got to be a tricky thing to deal with when that happens, right? It is. It's it's hard. And it's hard at multiple levels. It's hard for the team locker room because, you know, you start to forge close friendships. Uh, it's hard on the kid that's leaving. You know, it's hard on them, too, because they miss all that comes with being part of a team. Right. And so these decisions are not taken lightly. And then it, for me as a coach, of course, it's hard because you get so invested in them from the first day you start recruiting oh, them. Sure. I was talk, talking to Rachel just about that. We're in 2024. She and I have been in communication since the fall of 2016. Oh, so wow. we are, <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost eight years, nine years you spend right. getting to know these people and having them in your life. And then they become such a, I see them here every day. You're spending time eating on the road and traveling on the road and all the ups and downs that goes with college. Who's right there next to them? It's me. So you see the highs, you see the lows, you see it all. 
And then when that person leaves, it, it yeah, it, it's emotional. It's it's hard. So every time there's a graduation, I and you know, you asked about leaving early. That's an even trickier point. But even graduations, it's funny because you get sad knowing that they're not going to be here every day. But then you're simultaneously so happy for them because you sure. see that they out they outgrow college, right? That's the very natural evolution of your your student experience. It's it's normal, and then you get excited for them for what's next because you can tell that they're ready. So it's sure. it's a weird this coaching business is a weird business. <laughs> I bet I, I say it out loud. I'm like, wow, it's like a form of self punishment, you know. Every year you like say goodbye to one of your favorite people. But. Well, and, and as you touched on, and you get so close to these kids, I know you do. And and um, you know, even when they're here, I mean, you, you mentioned Rachel. Of course, she had the surgery last year and all the struggles that she had. And you live and die with these kids. I can only imagine. Um, so do. I I'm sure it's tremendously emotional. Let me, uh, you know, kind of um, ask you, kind of cut it this way. So you've, you know, you've got your team um, and you've got the season and you're the coach. And this is something I've always been curious about for someone in your position. And you touched on this earlier. These are elite players. Um, and, you know, this being, you know, 2024, they have a team, um, you know, they'll have, I mean, I know, you know, Rose had George Pinnell, Rachel at Rob Atkins over at, um, you know, in, in Memphis and, you know, but not only swing coaches, they probably have fitness coaches. We have a mental coach, you know, with NIL deals, they probably may even have, you know, other advisors and stuff. Um, so they have a team and, and these are fully or, or largely, I would think fully formed, you know, golfers in terms of, the swing and the mechanics because they've been, you know, probably playing since they were, you know, for 10 plus years um, under close tutelage. So, but you're the only one who's on the ground with them, you know, at Stanford. Um, but I'm just sort of curious, how do you sort of view your coaching role when you're dealing with these type of players? I mean, I'm guessing, but I want to hear from you that, you know, it's less swing mechanics because, you know, I mean, maybe they get off a little bit, but they have their own coaches. I'm sure they send them videos, maybe more performance oriented. But you tell me, I mean, kind of how do you do view your role as a coach, given the nature of the athletes you're getting? Yeah, you're right. And and it's changed a lot from, you know, 2002 when I started coaching with Nancy to 2008 when I was with the UC Davis kids. and that level of play versus, you know, the, the Rachel Hacks, the Rosings, the Andrea Lees of the world who are coming in world number ones. You're absolutely correct. They do have a great team around them. Uh, their foundation is already really strong. And the, the way I always try to speak to the, the women, how do I view my role is I'm here to help you optimize performance, period. So I'm we're going to have multiple discussions but what might be optimizing Kelly's performance may be very different to what's optimizing Caroline's performance. And I'm okay with that. I don't have an ego in the game. I, there's no place for it. So whatever that's going to take to optimize your performance, even if that just means me being a buddy and checking in with you, let's do that. Because I think you're right. These days, their teams are very well formed. They don't get to this level without having great people around them. Uh, and if there are holes in their teams or, you know, we, we talk about it here at Stanford as their board of directors, if there is a seat at the table that's not filled or maybe could be better filled, we'll have those conversations. But it's certainly not um, black or white, right or wrong. It's just an evolving conversation. So 
what's my role as a coach? Uh, optimizing performance. And then the other part, to go back to what I was telling you about my being here as a college coach, I see myself as an educator and I believe in that. And I believe that all college coaches, if we could first and foremost see ourselves as educators, as part of the academic mission, what does that involve? Sometimes education goes far beyond golf. And so right, my right. conversations with our athletes, some days we might not even touch on golf. In fact, today, I just, right before this call, I had a, a, a wonderful 35 minute conversation with um, Caroline Sturza, a junior on our team about AI, chat GPT, uh, <laughs> where that's, where that's heading, what she's thinking about as that plays out in her career potentially, or her major and then we were speaking a little bit about how it might show up in golf. And so it was this, I learned a ton. I learned so much from these athletes because they pushed me to be thinking differently. I wouldn't be thinking that way if I, you know, I don't even have chat GPT. I don't even use it. <laughs> and to hear that they're using it on a daily basis, this is their life. This is their experience. And so I learned a ton. But again, as an educator, to me, that 35 minutes, that is valuable 35 minutes. Oh, even though it sure. wasn't golf related. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, and, you know, touching on some of the non-golf aspects. And the other thing I'm sort of, I've always wondered about when you're talking about being a varsity athlete at a place like Stanford with the academic, academic demands of a place like Stanford, I mean, that's gotta be, um, a hard thing to balance. Um, you know, we talked a little bit before we got started about, the wonderful video of no laying up did of the team, um, which I, I've encouraged a lot of people to, to watch and I'll, I'll do it again on, on this podcast for our listeners. But I, I remember, I, I think it was Rose, like driving, riding her bike to the, the, the Siebel varsity golf training complex, you know, and it's like, it's dark out and, you know, and all the pay, you know, and just all the academic demands of a place like Stanford, do you sort of help them strike that balance? That's got to be a hard balance for anybody to strike. I, I assume you must sort of try to help them strike that balance, right? <laughs> yes, I do. But it is hard because uh, like I mentioned earlier, this group is typically pretty um, aspirational in all parts of their life. So what I try to do is just, you know, take a little bit of air out the balloon. And I don't know that we have many coaches across the country that almost have to deflate the balloon a little bit. They're normally <laughs> trying to push their athletes. Right. And I'm right, normally right, trying right. to rein them in a little bit. Yeah, like, hey guys, yeah, that's you know, yeah. you're you're already achieving so much. Uh, but the other thing I I do want to touch on or go back to is yeah, earlier please. in this conversation, you read off all the stats and the accolades yeah. and yeah. And I hear those out loud and they don't even seem real to me. And I I mean that they don't seem real because I'm so entrenched every day with the process of being in it with these young women, but all of those, I believe they were achieved because of these women that have come through this program. They all belong to the kids on this team. And I cannot say that enough. I'm in the good fortune to sit in a seat where I get to coach a, an elite group of student athletes, very elite, but they are largely self-determined, self-driven, ambitious, you know, I, I'm not having to push and prod and do anything special. I'm truly just here asking, how can I be helpful to you? And if that, if there's an opportunity, I will do that. But um, all those accolades belong to this group of kids. 
Yeah, that's that's very well said. Um, you know, kind of uh, maybe pivoting slightly off that, um, because and I'm glad you went back and, and said that and mentioned that. I mean, it is it is sustained excellence. I think I heard you use that term earlier. And it is um, that's what in looking at your 11 years, 12 years now, you know, at Stanford, um, that's what really comes across. Great players, sure. But you know, they, they come, they go, um, and the excellence is just um, sustained. I mean, do you think about how you can, uh, what, what, what sort of are the keys to sort of achieving that kind of sustained excellence? I mean, that must go through your mind. I mean, you mentioned culture and values. I assume that plays a big role, but um, uh, it's just got to be hard. And I think particularly hard in college. I mean, you know, some of the pro sports teams, We have, you know, the roster isn't changing over as much. I mean, you're constantly changing over. Each team is different. You're going to have somebody graduating. And how do you think about that in terms of maintaining the sustained excellence, which obviously you've done a phenomenal job of doing? Yeah, I think that's the great challenge. I mean, if if you think about what can I bring to the table from a organizational standpoint for our group, that's exactly what it is, is for me to use my experience to figure out each collective team of women, what is it that that team needs to hear? What is it that that team uh, needs to think about, focus on, be trained on, learn about, um, and, and really trying to get a sense of just our general atmosphere and where are the weaknesses or, or where are the gaps that we can plug from a from a coaching standpoint. And it's also kind of part of the fun. I, you know, my team is always tired to hear me say this, but I read a lot and I listen to a ton of podcasts and I'm always, <laughs> you know, I'm like mid run and I'm listening to the podcast and I'm like, oh, this is it. This is the one thing my team needs. And I go home and then I'm replaying it and I'm writing it down and I'm putting it in some form to bring to our team meeting just because I think that's where we can move the needle with the team is giving them ideas to think about collectively because it's very much an individual sport. We know that. Right. But at the was, end of the right. day, we are operating currently in a team environment. So there's, in my mind, there's great opportunity to learn and work together that will benefit us here right now, this quarter, this season. But more than that, you will take with you, you will take forward with you. I had a really cool thing happen a couple of years ago. Um, a young woman on her team, who actually just became a mother, but a young woman on her team, she called, she texted me and she said, coach, you have time to catch up. And I said, sure. And so we got on the phone and, and the company she was working with, she'd just been promoted. She had, she'd had five people under her, but she got promoted to over a team of 20. And she was about six months in and she was just flailing. And she said, I think back to the teams we had. And she said, I think back to how, you know, what you would present to us and how we would think about it. And, and she said, and, you know, I was listening at the time, but now I wish I'd taken notes and listened more because I need it. And how did you come up with that stuff? And, we spent an hour on the phone. It was one of the most fulfilling wow. hours I ever spent Wonderful. talking to any of my former players. Yeah. Um, and she was scribbling notes frantically because it was foreign to her. But I got off the phone that day and I thought, you know, there's something we do here that I don't give much credence to. But then when and hearing her talk about the need that she had to lead this group of people under her and get them on the same page and create a culture that was going to help them be successful within their company, I, I felt like, okay, let's keep doing that because it's important far beyond golf.
Oh, it really is. That's well said. And, and you know, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, it, it's a team, you're coaching a team in an individual sport. And um, that's got its own tricky aspects to it, I'm sure. I mean, these folks, you know, have worked on their own games all these years. But, you know, if you've got, you know, player A has it feels like they're not just playing for themselves, but playing for player B, C, D, and E. And there's got to be a synergy there that you try to unlock. And, and that's what gets you your successful teams, I'm sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's also important in this sport for them to feel like they have camaraderie. This is a lonely sport, especially yes. the closer to the top you get. It's very lonely. Yeah. And so I think to have that shared camaraderie where, of course, we're competing against each other, but also we're, we're in the trenches together. And so it's nice to be when you're trying to push yourself and you're trying to get better every day, it's nice to be living on that edge with some other teammates who are pursuing the same thing because um, it is a lonely sport. It is. Um, uh, and I want to thank you. This has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I know you guys um, uh, will, uh, I'm looking forward. I think the NCAAs are down in La Jolla this year. I'm remembering yeah, Carlsbad. Right, in Carlsbad, uh, or not Carlsbad, right, at uh, La Costa and, and around there. And I'm going to look mm -hmm. forward to do it um, uh, and uh, cheer you guys on. Um, and um, But best of luck as you, you know, uh, start the spring and uh, head towards the NCAAs and uh, continued success. Yeah, thank you. Fingers crossed. So hopefully we'll see you in San Diego in May. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Anne.